Let's begin our study tonight as we read that there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And so before we begin to look at this in detail, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would just bless our time in the study of your word. I, I pray that we would make application, Lord, that we would learn as we look at a time that was a dark time in the history of your people. Lord, I pray that we would understand that, that when we begin to do things that is right in our own eyes, that it leads to being defeated, it leads to being in captivity, it leads to all kinds of serious consequences. So Father, I pray that we would have hearts that are soft towards you right now. And Lord, that you would teach us. And that, Lord, you would show us the things that you desire in your word tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know the book of Judges is that period of history of about 400 years between the time that Joshua dies there as he took the children of Israel into the promised land, of course. We read about their victorious battles there in the book of Joshua. And, and Joshua, he was the leader, of course, that would lead the troops and lead the children of Israel, also leading them in their allotments that were given to them. That is, each of the 12 tribes of Israel would receive an allotment, that is a section of land, that that's where they were to be planted, that's where they were to go in and continue to, to drive out the Canaanite tribes that were there in pockets after Joshua had died. But we saw at the beginning of the book of Judges that they did not do that. They did not drive out the Canaanites and, the, and all the, the inhabitants that they were told to. And so we've seen that the consequences of that have been that those Canaanite tribes have raised up during this time of history to hold the children of Israel in bondage. Along with that, the children of Israel were in disobedience to the Lord. So we've seen this vicious cycle that they've been in for 400 years during this time of them uh, forsaking the Lord, turning to false idols, to false worship. And what happened was exactly as God's word said would happen, and that is that you're going to be delivered over to your enemies. And so we have seen this with the children of Israel. That's exactly what happened because you see the promises of God are true. Whether those promises speak of, of wonderful things that, that God desires to do in our lives as we stand on those promises and, and we have those wonderful promises underlined in Scripture that I know that the Lord will never leave me or forsake me and I know He's going to work all things out for good for those who love Him who are called according to His purposes. And those are the promises usually that we have underlined in our Bibles, isn't it? But also the warnings that are given to us that those will come to pass as well. And so they were warned that if you forsake me, the Lord said, and he made a covenant with the children of Israel, then what's going to happen is you're going to find yourselves in bondage to your enemies. And so they would find themselves in that situation as they forsook the Lord. And, and then they would cry out to the Lord and give up those idols. And the Lord out of his mercy would raise up a judge to deliver them from their enemies. And so we have looked at 12 different judges here that have been spoken of in the book of Judges during this period. And so we saw it was Ehud that would be raised up to free them from the Moabites. It was Deborah and Barak that would free them from the Canaanites. And then it was Gibeon and his 300 men that would deliver the children of Israel from the 135,000 Midianites that came into the land with their camels. We saw Jephthah that would 
free them from the Ammonites. And so, again, it was God working in a very powerful way as he raised up those judges. And then we just concluded last week looking at the life of Samson. We saw his life from the time of his birth clear to the time of his death. And Samson was raised up, Judge Israel, for 20 years. And it was the Philistines at this time that had the children of Israel in bondage. And Samson was unique in where he was a one-man army. He was one that the Spirit of God came upon him, and uh, he had incredible strength. But the problem with Samson, even though he had taken a Nazarite vow, a vow of dedication, even though the Spirit of God came upon him to give him the strength that he needed to, to tear up a lion or, or to take on the Philistines, we know that he was ruled in his heart by his flesh. He was ruled by his fleshly desires, and it got him into trouble. And we saw very clearly, didn't we, last week as we looked at the death of Samson, what happens if we play around with sin, if we continue in sin? You end up getting blinded is what happened to Samson, and it will happen to you and to me. And he ended up being bound up, and you and I will find ourselves being bound up and to all kinds of serious consequences and repercussions that will come our way. And, and then he ended up being a grinder, and we're just going to feel like we're just being ground under the, the pressures and the difficulties and the discouragement that will come our way. And so the Lord desires for you and for me to walk in his ways and to walk according to a way that is pleasing to him and also to walk after the spirit that is to allow the Lord to just work through us as we're surrendered to him. So now we come to chapters 17 through 21. And in these chapters here, these chapters are kind of a addendum, if you would. That is, it's going to tell us about the real spiritual condition of the nation during this time of the days of the judges. Again, from the time of Joshua, uh, 400 years up until the time that Samuel, that we see in 1 Samuel, is going to anoint the first king of Israel. And what happens during that time is that the children of Israel come to, to Samuel the prophet and they say to him, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king. And so Samuel was broken hearted over that. And he went to the Lord and the Lord said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you as their leader. They've rejected me. And God was the one that wanted to truly be their king. God was the one that wanted to rule over them, thus the name Israel, which means what? Governed by God. And that's the same way with you and me. And yet we're going to see here that they, there was no king during this time, and they did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, everybody was just going about doing their own thing, doing what they thought was right in their own eyes, in their own understanding, and in their own ways. And what we're going to see very clearly as we go through these chapters, and these chapters are not the, the most pleasant chapters to go through. We're going to see that it's going to be a story that's going to unfold that's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's going to show the depravity that the nation was in, the, the spiritual decay that has taken place. And truly, there's some very important lessons as we go through this, looking at this, even though it may be hard to look at it. But we need to understand something, that the reason that the Lord records this in his word is that we may learn what happens when a nation or a church or an individual begins to do what is right in their own eyes? And they begin to do that which is contrary to the ways of the Lord. And what happens is it's, it's this, this spiritual decay and, and, and uh, 
immorality that continues to get worse and, and depravity and perversity that ends up ruling over that nation and, and taking over the life of that individual or the life of, of God's people, even though they may have religious talk and, and, and religious things going on. We're going to see here in Michael's idolatry because we're introduced to this guy named Micah as we read in verse 1. And we're going to see that he's going to seem to be a religious person, but again, he is doing it in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord, in a way that's going to bring great distress and heartache and pain and confusion to not only himself, but to the nation as well. And so God writes these things down that we may learn. Now you remember that in 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings, when Paul was talking to the Corinthian believers, he says that you have a race to run. Run that race with certainty. And he says, I run my race to win the prize. I don't run it uh, to where I'm disqualified. I don't run that race to where I stumble, but I keep my eyes on the Lord. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he goes on and he says there that in the Old Testament, these examples are written for us so we can see how they were disqualified in the race that they run. You see, we know in scriptures, and a lot of Christians don't really understand this, that we are running a race. When you become a believer, you begin to run a race for the Lord. And you see, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation. The gospel message is this, that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, and he was put into a grave and he rose again according to the scriptures. Paul declared that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. So you and I know that as we come to Jesus Christ and we say, Jesus, you're the Son of God. We believe in our hearts. We come in faith that died for my sins because I am a sinner. And as we receive him as Lord and Savior, then that free gift of salvation is given to us, all those who come in faith, who believe on the name of Jesus Christ. As we, we come and surrender our hearts to him, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation. Do we understand that? What makes Christianity unique is not what we do, it's what he did. That's the emphasis of Christianity. That's what makes Christianity unique among all the other world religions and philosophies. All the other world religions and, and, and philosophies say, this is what you have to do to be a righteous person. This is what you have to do to earn a way to heaven. It is only true biblical Christianity that says it is based on what he did, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. But with that said, we need to understand something that a lot of Christians do not understand, and that is we're running a race. And Paul says, you run that race to win the prize. And he's talking about that as he's discussing that whole area of Christian liberty and what we can and cannot do, what's pleasing to the Lord. And in our Christian liberty, you see, we're free to live for the Lord in a way that we're not stumbling the weaker brother or sister. And he says, you guys don't stumble as well in the race that you're running. And in First. Corinthians chapter 10, these, the children of Israel, are using an example of ones who were disqualified because of what? Their disbelief and because of their disobedience and because of their murmuring and their complaining. They did not go into the promised land as he was talking about their wilderness wandering. You see, these things are written for us here in this book that we can understand the things that we are not to do and not to be engaged in. And I hope that, that we understand very clearly 
that we're to run a race with endurance, as the author of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's really my desire to, to just continue to exhort you in here at Calvary Chapel to see you guys and, and me and we as a church, especially in the days in which we were living in, to continue to run our race. And it isn't that you're running a race against anybody else, but you are running a race to where there are prizes to be won. And we know that one day that we're going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and we are going to be judged for the works that we have done. Now, we're not going to be judged for our sins. Understand that. Our sins were taken, judged for, when Jesus took our sins upon himself on Calvary's cross. But with that said, Paul says that we'll stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. The Corinthians knew exactly what Paul was talking about because the Greeks at that time, they were ones that, they, they were into the ancient Olympic Games in, in Athens that was a few miles from Corinth, the Isthmus Games that took place in Corinth. He says, you're going to stand at the Bema reward seat and receive a reward for what you've done in the body, whether good or bad. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about how our works are going to be judged by fire. And those things that are unlike him, the Lord, are going to burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. And all the things that you do for the Lord are going to shine forth as gold and silver and precious metals. I don't know exactly how it's going to be when we stand at the Bema reward seat of Christ, but I know rewards are going to be given to us. One of the last things that we hear Jesus say in the scriptures in the book of Revelation is when he comes back, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and I come with my reward to give to those who have faithfully served me. And so there are rewards for you and I to be given as we faithfully serve the Lord, continue to run our race, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to keep my eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in the day in which we're living in. And that's why that when we get done with judges here, I want to do a four-week series on standing firm in perilous times. Because Paul wrote to Timothy and said that in the last days, it will be perilous times. And there's a lot of things to pull us away from the Lord, to get us distracted, to weigh us down, to, to cause us to stumble. So we're going to see here in these pages things that will cause us to stumble, things that can happen to a nation, can happen to a church, can happen to an individual that will cause us to get sidetracked and, and cause us to get involved with that which is wrong and false. And so we're introduced to this individual named Micah in verse 2, and he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here's the silver with me, I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. And so when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molden image. Now therefore I will return it to you. And thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver, gave them to a silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molden image, and they were in the house of Micah. So here is Micah. His mom has 1,100 pieces of, of silver, shekels of silver, that was stolen from her. And so she says, curse the one who stole, you know, my money. Now, we're going to get from verse 10 of this chapter that 10 pieces or shekels of silver were about a year's wage, an average year's wage for an individual at this time. 
So if 10 shekels of silver was a year's wage, 1,100 shekels of silver, that's a fortune, isn't it? We're not talking about a small amount. We're not talking about somebody who went into mom's purse and took a $20 bill. This is her fortune. This is what she has saved up. And so she curses the individual. And so her son Micah hears it and he says, uh, Mom, it was me. And he confesses. And as he confesses, what does she do in verse 2? She said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Now, that's a little mixed up, isn't it? That perspective. And, and what I mean by that is here she curses the person who took and stole my $1,100, you know, or 11 hundred pieces of shekels of silver and all of a sudden the son says uh i'm a little worried because you put a curse on it so i'm the one that took it and then she turns around and says blessed are you you know that have taken this money you know i see that sometimes happen today sometimes i, I will hear adults say oh those kids and these people and curse be them and they're doing these activities and then all of a sudden, maybe perhaps one of their own children or somebody that's very close to them gets involved in it and it's like, well, you know, they couldn't have done that. There's no way. Or if they did do that, you know, there was a reason for it. It's somebody else's fault. And, oh, they're really a good kid. They're Blessed are they and all of this. We need to understand something that I know for me as I raise my four kids, I want them to do what's right. I'm going to stand by them. But when they do wrong, they do wrong. And there's those times where we need to bring correction and rebuke to them out of love for them. But we live in the most excuse-oriented society, you know, that has ever existed, that we like to make excuses all the time, particularly for those who are close to us. We continue to love them. But what she should have said is, what you did was wrong. And God is not going to bless sin. You see? And, and when we turn around and one second we're saying, well, curses them for doing all of this, and, but, you know, when it comes to my own children or those who are close to me, uh, how could it be? And they, they really didn't do that. And, oh, it's somebody else's fault and excuses and all of this. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we need to see things in the eyes that God sees them. So she, she's saying, well, bless you, my son. And she, he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother. And then his mother says, well, I wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son. I really was going to give it to you. And, and, and part of it I want to make for a carved image and a molding image. Now, therefore, I return it to you. So she returns it to him. But she's going to take, as we see, 200 shekels of silver gives it to the silversmith to make this idol this this carven image now we know that right there that is a direct violation of the second commandment notice here the spiritual talk blessed be you my son and i'll i was going to to use some of that money to to make this this carved image and and i was going to dedicate this to the lord and even though there's this spiritual talk that is there, it's all wrong, isn't it? It's not spiritual in the eyes of the Lord. They're violating God's word. God's word says that you are not to make any carved images at all. That you were to worship me and me alone. That I am the God of the universe that created you. 
And, and you read the book of Isaiah, you can go and, and read chapters 44 and 45. You can read it later, and you can see how the prophet and, is speaking on behalf of the Lord. And the Lord has come along and saying, you chop a tree down, and you take the wood, and you, you use part of it to make a fire to cook your food, and then the other part to make this God that you have to carry around. How foolish it is. And that carved image has ears, but cannot hear and eyes that can't see and a mouth that doesn't speak and you have to tote it around on a cart it can do nothing for you in your time of need and we're going to see that very clearly as we go through this so she's thinking she's being spiritual and and so she gives it to the silversmith in verse 5 the man micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest so all this religiousness that has taken place here in, in this home here is Micah. He has a shrine. He has a shrine in his home, and he has an ephod. Now, you remember the ephod was kind of that, that, that vest that the high priest would wear, as we saw in the book of Exodus. The high priest and his priestly garments had that ephod. It was a, kind of a sign of authority, a, uh, showing that he was the high priest. And here is Micah. He has his, his shrine. He has his ephod. He has this carved image, but he also has household idols. And what that is, is it, it was a big thing back in the days of the judges that they had different idols that they worshipped, almost like family idols. And so they had all these little statues along with the carved image that it is that he is worshipping. Now there's been different debates on what this carved image is. And I will give you a suggestion as we continue on because the plot's going to thicken as we continue on here. But here he is. He's got his own religious system. He turns to his son and says, Son, I'm going to consecrate you as priest. So he's got his own priesthood. He's got his own church. He's got his own you know, religious uh, symbols and all of this. He's ready to go. Everything is there. But it's all wrong, isn't it? Because the Lord said, I don't want you worshiping any carved images. And the Lord said, when you go and worship, you're to worship at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And he set up a priesthood. Didn't we see that in the book of Exodus and also in the book of Leviticus? The priests were to be the direct descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. So here is a one from Ephraim from probably the tribe of Ephraim, that's having his son become a priest. So he's all set up there. Now, there's a couple things that I, I, I think that we can get out of verse 5 that is important for us to consider. And one is that I think here what we see here is practical convenience. That here is Micah. He's got his whole religious system at home. Very practical for him. He doesn't have to go to Shiloh anymore. I want to just share my heart with you. You know, I commend you guys for coming out on Wednesday nights. And I know that the day in which we live in, that so much can be emphasized practical convenience in the church today. You know, that's a big thing. And we have made it easier for people to hear the Word of God, for people to, to hear the teaching and and. Sometimes I think that there's so many opportunities for that that people say, I don't really need to come to church. I can just stay at home. I remember when we went to the pastor's conference, Bob, my brother-in-law, who pastors up at, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, a large Calvary chapel up there, he was telling me right before he left to come out to the pastor's conference, he 
saw a family, and the family, he was happy to see him and said, it's good to see you. And the family said, oh, we wanted to come. We haven't been here for a while because we've been at home. We, we find it a lot easier just to listen to the service, the live stream on the computer in our pajamas. And, you know, those things, and again, hear my heart on this. We have the radio program that we want to get out, and we do, because there are people who cannot come to church. And I understand that we get sick, and people work on Sundays, and sometimes we get tied up, and, and it, it can become difficult in the busyness of our, our lives and schedules that go on. I understand that. That's why we want to do that. That's why we want to have CDs that are available for you for free so you can come and get the teaching. That's why we have the website so you can pull up the teaching and watch it. And we want to make that available for you. We want that to be a blessing. I was talking to, to somebody uh, yesterday evening that um, was saying that they really enjoyed the radio program on Pirate Radio. And I didn't know that this individual was listening. They don't go to our church, but they work on weekends. And it's a real blessing. So we have people that really are, are kind of tied into our fellowship that we don't see because of that, because of their schedules, and that's a blessing. But also we've made it to where there's Christian TV, there's all of this, and sometimes if we're not careful, along with not only that, but all the things that go on on the weekends and that can pull us away, we can say, I'm just going to stay at home. And, and practical convenience begins to be the norm in our lives. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially, especially as you see the day approaching. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to come out and be taught God's word and be a part of the church and fellowship to be encouraged and exhorted and built up in the things of God and in the word of God, how important it is, especially as we see the day approaching. And I believe that we are seeing the day approaching. And I think that we're going to see some difficult days ahead, not because Pastor Jeff, I'm this prophet that's, you know, uh, you know uh, prophesying all this stuff that's going to happen. I'm just a simple Bible teacher. And that's what God's Word says is going to take place. And there's going to be more and more false teachers and prophets that are on the scene. And we need to be ones that we are encouraging and building each other up and being a part of a church family, not forsaking ourselves, the assembly of ourselves together. To not just let the practical convenience be the one that is ruling over our families and over our lives when it comes to being in church, when it comes to, to being involved in a body of believers. And I understand, folks, there are going to be times you're not here and, and times where you're traveling and working and you're not feeling well and the kids are sick and you've got to stay home and all these things take place. But here is Micah. He sets up this shrine. You know, he has his own priesthood. He doesn't have to go to Shiloh. Everything that he has spiritually or religiously is there in his home, even though he was doing it wrong. And that brings me to the second point that I think that we see today. And that is he's trying to be all-inclusive here. He has all these family gods. We're going to believe in all these gods. And you know what the pressure is going to be on you and me in the days ahead? That the word to be all-inclusive. That we're to accept all the religions. And, 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 and all of it is truth. And there's truth in every religion that's out there. And, you know, the different religions is just a different expression of God. And you and I we are going to be targets for criticism, 
for those who are saying you Christians are being exclusive that say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The truth of God's word is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way and not a truth, but the truth. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus, when he prayed in that garden, sweating great drops of blood, he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in that, as Jesus was saying, that let the cup of suffering death pass from me, if it is possible, Father, if, if it is possible for a man, for a woman, to go to heaven on their own merit and believing in another God or being good enough or whatever it might be. He said, then I don't need to go to the cross of Calvary. But because Jesus submitted himself willingly to the Father, shows me that we know that Jesus is the way to the Father, as he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you and I are going to be more pressured in the day in which we're living in to be all-inclusive. And I pray for you and I that we would love people enough that we would say, you know what? Jesus is the way, and he loves you, and he died for you. Surrender your heart to him. He's the only one, no one else, nothing else, died for you and rose from the grave three days later. Only Jesus Christ. So here's Micah. Why is he doing all of this? Well, verse 6 tells us, because in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see, this is what happens. This is what happens when when we begin, when a nation begins, uh, an individual begins to do what is right in their own eyes. And when we do that, we are capable of such deception apart from the truth of God. And that's what we're seeing happening more, I believe, in our world today. We live in a world that is much the same way, that loves to be religious, that believes in God, but not according as the Word of God has given to us and as we read the truth about God, His character, His nature, the plan of salvation, how it is that truly we can come into that salvation. You see, they do what is right in their own eyes. And there are people that are so hostile towards the true and the living God that we see today in Christianity. And there are those who are saying that, that just about anything goes. Whatever it is that you believe, it's okay. And doing what is right in their own eyes rather than doing what is right in the eyes of God. You know, you probably feel the same way I do. Decisions and actions, conduct of people, of, of leaders, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me a lot of times. And I know that you feel the same way as you watch it unfold, as you hear things that are said, you say, why? And the reason is because they're doing what is right in their own eyes. And we need to understand what the New Testament says, that Satan blinds the eyes of those who do not believe. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that those that are not believers, that they don't understand the things of God, the natural man. And so they don't believe God's word. And, and what happens is, as they continue to do what is right in their own eyes, what happens is there's this progression that a nation goes through, that a group of people will go, an individual, 
Lord, gets further and further away from the Lord because you see Satan, he wants to just deceive you, deceive a nation, deceive a group of people that are doing what is right in their own eyes. He's a master counterfeiter. He's a master deceiver to pull them even further and further away from the Lord. And you and I, we need to see clearly through spiritual eyes what truth is and the way that God wants us to live. I really believe that we're seeing a nation today what concerns me about our nation, and I love our nation. I really do. I am so appreciative of our young men and women that, that are fighting on our behalf. I, I love our nation, our history, but I am also concerned for our nation as well. And the direction that we are going, and it has been proclaimed by our president publicly that we are no longer a Christian nation. And that very much concerns me and breaks my heart. Because it seems like as a nation we're getting more further away from the Lord. And the decisions that we make and the direction that we're going and the immorality that abounds, I believe that the church as a whole is in crisis because there's a diminishing of the teaching of the Word of God or there's more of a focus on being inclusive and entertaining and, and programs and, and being practical and feel-good messages but yet not a true conviction of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God goes forth. And I really believe, I really do, that apart from a true revival in hearts in our nations turning to Jesus Christ, that things are going to get worse spiritually, just as it did for the nation of Israel here. So he has everything in place. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. The whole theme of the book of Judges in verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and he was staying there. And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. And then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as they journeyed. So here's a man from Bethlehem. He's from the tribe of Levi. Now who are the Levites? You recall in the book of Numbers that the Levites were the ones that assisted the priest in the tabernacle ministry. The priests were the direct descendants of Aaron. Aaron and Moses, brothers, they were all from the tribe of Levi. The direct descendants of Aaron, the sons of Aaron, were the priests. Now the other families of the Levites, the Gershonites, the Maronites, and the Kohathites, they were Levites. They assisted the priests in the tabernacle ministry, as we saw prescribed there in the book of Numbers. They did not do the work of the priest. They helped the priest. Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. So here is a Levite. He is in Bethlehem. Now there's another problem here, isn't there? You see, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, they were not to have a section of land like the other 12 tribes. The Lord said, I'm going to be your inheritance. So what did the Lord give them? 48 cities. 
We read about that there in Numbers chapter 35. You can go to Joshua chapter 21, and it names the 48 cities that are there that were to be cities of the Levites, that the Levites were to stay in, and they were to be supported by the children of Israel in the, in the giving of the first fruits, in the giving of the tithes at the tabernacle. That was all to support the priests and the Levites so that they could dedicate themselves in ministering. The 48 cities were located throughout the land of Israel, so no one was more than a day's journey from going and receiving spiritual guidance and wisdom from a Levite as he would go to the city of the Levites. Bethlehem was not one of those cities. So here's a Levite from Bethlehem. And the reason probably that this Levite is staying in Bethlehem is probably the people had stopped supporting the Levites a long time ago. They're they're no longer supporting them. So he's in Bethlehem trying to make a living. So he goes out. He goes out from Bethlehem here, and, and he's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for a job. And so he comes there, verse 8 again, to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah said to him, Dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, your subsistence." So the Levite went in. So all of a sudden, he comes across Micah's house, and, and, and Micah finds out he's a Levite, and says, stay with me. I have a Levite. At least it's from the right tribe. Come and stay, and I'll pay you a year's wages and a suit of clothes, the robes and everything. And so the Levite was pleased and content, verse 11, to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So now he has his priesthood and his own priest, and and here is this Levite who, at the end of chapter 18, his name is Jonathan, here is Jonathan, that he's got his own church now. And he's got a salary. And, oh man, what a great opportunity. You know, there are many ministers that are out there, and those in full-time ministry, they see it as a job. I got a salary, I got a church, whatever it might be. But one of the things that I pray I never forget, that the ministry that God has given to me, and I'm very thankful that I get to do it full-time. I'm thankful for the support of this fellowship, that I can be here. But it isn't a job. It's a calling. It's a calling of God. And God called me and my family to Greeley. We didn't have the support. We had a cheap guitar, a stool, and a Bible. That was it. We didn't have a building. We didn't have all the the things that normally you think of as a church, a sound system and chairs. We didn't have any of that. We just started in our home. And I left uh, Calvary Chapel in Colorado Springs that has grown to probably about four or 5,000 people now. I mean, we enjoyed it down there, and the church was growing. And But God put Greeley, Colorado on our hearts, and we obeyed the call of God to come up here. I didn't know what was going to happen. There was no salary. There was no building. But we trusted in God. And I hope that whatever God calls you to, because all of us are called to ministry, whether it's to your children, to your grandchildren, whether it's, you know, 
simply doing simple things and ministering to others, working with children, working with youth, you know, helping with the building, cleaning. If it's doing practical things and ministering to others and making a meal, whatever it might be, that that's a calling of God on your life. And I pray that you do it with great joy. And I never want to get to the place of, well, you know, I'm just going to look for the, the greatest and best opportunity. I'm going to be here till I fall off this stool because God has called me to this place. And you see, one of the other things that goes along with that, that he's called me to teach the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. It isn't in the church growth programs to do that. You know, I get church growth program, you know, literature and emails and get our magazine and buy our tapes and our CDs and come to our seminars and all of this. I bet not one, not one says what you need to do is you need to go through the books of Numbers, Leviticus, you know, verse by verse. I bet not one of them has that idea. But that's what God has called me to, and I'm going to be committed to it. There are lots of things that, that we could do to try to draw people in. But I want to teach the Word of God to you. And to be a servant. And to do it with great humility and a heart of thankfulness. And I pinch myself just about every day that I get to come into this place being thankful that I get to be the pastor of this church. One of the greatest thrills that I have had in the last 14 years of pastoring this church is not just God growing it, but growing you and growing me. As the Word of God comes into our hearts and we grow and watching our children grow spiritually and how important it is for, for all of us to do that and to encourage you to do that. And I'm going to continue to be committed to you to continue to teach the Word of God and to give you the whole counsel of God's Word. There is a difference between teaching from the Bible, which is good, and teaching through the Bible. And I am committed to teach through the Bible. And I know there are chapters that are not always pretty, as we will see that <laughs> chapters 18 through 21 are not going to be a happy story. It's not always going to be happy messages and but it's going to be God speaking to us and making application for us today. So here's Micah. He's got this great, you know, opportunity to hire this, this Levite. And the Levite says, great, this is wonderful. So he's set up, man. He's got a suit of clothes. He's got food. He's got a, a salary. In verse 11, the Levite was content to dwell with the man, as I mentioned. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite. And a young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. God's going to bless me because I have all this religiousness around me. You know, people think that today. If I'm just spiritual or nice or religious in some way, that God's going to bless it. And what God is going to bless is when we come to worship Him and to serve Him and to learn of Him in sincerity and truth. 
And that's what Joshua said to the children of Israel. He said, you guys put away the idols and you come and you serve him in sincerity and truth. And as far as me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord, the true and the living Lord. And that's what my prayer is for us. That we continue in sincerity and truth. And that we would stand up in our homes and say to our children and say to our friends and relatives, as for me, as for my house, we're dedicated to the Lord. We're dedicated to truth. And we're dedicated to serving Him. We're going to love others, but we're going to love others enough to give them the truth. Even if it offends them, even if they don't like it, even though they will try to put on some spiritual act and have spiritual talk, we will talk Jesus Christ in Him crucified. Amen? We're going to speak about Him and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, we thank You. We thank You that we're reminded of these things. We never want to get to the point where we just do what is right in our own eyes. Because we know that leads to being impoverished and confusion and deception spiritually. But Lord, all of us, we want to continue in truth. And Father, I thank you that we've been able to do that over the years. But Lord, we want to continue to do that. And Lord, I pray for all of us. And they're in this room. I pray for us as a church. That Lord, that we would just grow in your love and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we would stand on that that we wouldn't get deceived we wouldn't get you know come to a place where we compromise your truth but we stand fast in it and Lord we filter everything through your word and that we would be ones that we would continue to grow in your word because we know that's what makes us wise for salvation, not just in coming to salvation, but wise in the way that we walk in our, in our lives now. And I pray for us as we walk, as we run our race, that we wouldn't get weighed down with so many things that pull us away and things that cause us to stumble, things that cause us to pull us away from you and get our eyes off of you, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And to understand that, that when we go to heaven and there's rewards to be given for what we have done, what you've called us to, whatever opportunities that we have, where you've placed us, Lord, I, my desire is all of us will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that we would make you the priority in every area of our lives. And Father, I understand that we get busy with children and with our jobs. And Lord, just strengthen everybody here. But Lord, in that, that we would keep you, Lord, to guide us and to direct us and to provide for us and to strengthen us to honor you wherever we find ourselves in tonight, where, wherever we're placed, whatever's going on in our lives. The Lord just honor you. And Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. 
Father, I thank you that we can come here and hear your word on Wednesday nights and come on Sunday mornings. And I pray that we would continue to do that in hearing your word in our own devotions, being grounded in truth. As we continue, Father, to worship you, I pray that, that we would just open our hearts to you and having hearts of worship, but there was anything that, that you are dealing with us, Lord, that we would just confess it to you and come to you? Because Jesus said, come. He does not say, get away. He says, come. And Lord, to lay those things at your feet. If we need healing, if we need, Lord, to confess anything that's not right in our hearts, Lord, if we need wisdom, that right now we would do that as we just spend some more time with you, a few more minutes, and worshiping you. So, Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We're